So today we're going to start with a question that I think you will be familiar with. Uh, voici la question. Nous sommes prêts. Here it is. Are you ready? Are you ready to study God's word today? Okay. So uh, we're going to do a lot of passages of scripture today. And so if you want to go ahead and uh, I, I know it'll be a challenge to keep up in your Bible, but we will have everything on the screen today. And some of you I've noticed from week to week, take pictures of like half of the slides so that you have them for later. That's okay. That's uh, encouraged. Just keep your phone on silent. It'd be awesome. Okay. Excellent. Well, Greg Norman was one of the greatest golfers of the 1990s. Uh, he was called the shark. And there was a reason for that. Greg Norman is from Australia. He has a thick Australian accent and, and just this, this image of toughness. He is big and strong and imposing. He has that uh, broad shoulders and that thick blonde hair and piercing eyes and just would intimidate so many other golfers. He learned that tough presence from his father. Uh, when he was growing up, he, he, he talked about how when his father would come back for a trip or he or would get off an airplane, he would want to run and hug his father, but his father would have nothing to do with it. His father would only shake his hand. And so there was no warmth or, or kindness or affection that he garnered from his father. And so he grew up believing that to be a man meant to be tough and to portray that image. Well, in 1996, everything kind of fell apart. Oh, by the way, one of the funny quotes uh, when it comes to Greg Norman, I think this is hilarious. If you, if you uh, any James Bond fans in the house, if you ever watch any of those movies, you know, Dan Jenkins, a sports writer, said one time, I'll never forget, he said, uh, Greg Norman looks like the kind of guy you would send to kill James Bond, to like, hey, tar, the shark. Uh, but in 1996, Greg was playing at the Masters Tournament in Augusta, Georgia, as you know, one of the most prestigious tournaments in the world, one of the four majors. And everything fell apart. He, he went into the last round at the Masters in a great lead, had total command. He was six strokes ahead in the final round. It seemed impossible for him to lose. But then everything started to fall apart. Uh, he hit balls in the water and off into the trees and missed putts and, and just his game fell apart. And as his score started to go down, in a bad way, at the same time, his competitor, Nick Faldo, was getting better and better and better as the round went on. Until the very last hole, Nick Faldo had a long putt from all the way across the green. And if he sunk that one putt, he would win and Greg Norman would lose. And of course, he puts the most amazing putt of his lifetime, one of the most memorable wins in PGA history, and one of the most memorable losses. Greg Norman is defeated. He's humiliated. He's devastated. And so Nick Faldo is excited to win, but feels really bad 
for Greg Norman because this has just been such an, an embarrassing experience how his game fell apart in the last nine holes. And so Greg Norman goes over to shake, or I'm sorry, uh, Nick Faldo goes over to shake Greg Norman's hand across the green and Greg Norman is preparing himself to be polite and to shake hands even though he's devastated. And as Nick Faldo walks across the green, what happens next shocks everyone. It was unexpected. Instead of reaching out to take Greg's hand, Nick Faldo instead wrapped his arms around Greg Norman, feeling bad for him, and gave him a big hug and held on. And in that moment, something that you hardly ever see happened right there on the golf course, on national television, in front of millions and millions of people, Greg Norman began to cry, sobbing in Nick Faldo's arms. And something changed in the shark that day. In that moment, listen to this quote. He said, I was not crying because I had lost. He said, I've lost a lot of golf tournaments before, and I'll lose a lot more. I cried because I had never felt that from another man before. I had never had a hug like that in my life. On this Father's Day, we know that guys are told you're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to be tough. You don't have to depend upon anybody else. Let that strength rise up from within you. But the truth is we all need to know that we are loved. That even men, especially men, need to know that someone cares for us. That someone feels our pain. And many of the men in our culture today have never had another man who loved them. Have never had another man who reached out and got real and raw about emotions and said, this is a safe place. Never had another man who encouraged them, who stood beside them. Never had another man who invested in them. And so that's what we're going to talk about in this series, not just for men, but for all of us. How do we raise others up? And so we are going to invent a new term today that has never before been heard in the English language. Are you ready? Until today. We're making history today. Here we go. We are going to learn how to be a razor upper. Can you say that with me? How to be a razor upper. I have a vast command of the English language. Thank you. Thank you very much. And so how do you become one who raises up those around you to meet their potential? Well, the first thing that a razor upper has is, number one, a positive attitude about people in general. See, it's really easy to see people's problems. Anybody can point out problems. But Jesus had an amazing ability to look beyond just people's problems to actually see their potential. That Jesus was able to take people's trash and turn it into treasure. 
Let's read John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Everybody out loud together. Here we go. John 3, 16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, Jesus says, I did not come to condemn you. Jesus did not come just to make you feel bad about your sin. Jesus came to save you from your sin. And there's a big difference. Jesus actually came in order to help you get better. And there are two things that Jesus believed about every person. Number one, that every person has value. And number two, no person is beyond redemption and transformation. See, our world today does not believe that. Our world today many times says you will never become better than what you are right now. That the way you're born is the way that you will always be. That's what the world so often says, that change is impossible for people. But Jesus came to declare that every person can be redeemed and transformed. And listen, if you don't believe that about people, if you don't believe that every person has value, and if you don't believe that by God's power, every person can be redeemed and transformed, then listen, you don't believe in Jesus. Let me just tell you, if you think the same way as people in the world, that people can never get better, that people can never be changed, then you don't believe in Jesus. Because around here, listen, listen, around here, we as a church believe that with help and with the power of God's spirit and with the truth of God's word and with the right ad attitude and with love that lives can be transformed and every person can reach their potential in Christ. Amen? Amen. I mean, if we don't believe that, then I don't know what we're doing around here, right? That's why we exist. But here's the next thing. We also know that Razor uppers discern who is ready to grow and who is not. See, the painful reality is you can't help everybody, but you can help somebody. And you have to make some, in, some decisions on who you are going to really pour into and invest in. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. <laughs> and some of you have had that experience before, right? That some people, you just, you just want to help and you want to encourage them. And, and some of you, you just give and give and give and give of yourselves. And there are some people who will just take and take and take and take and take because they don't care. They're just takers. And you know, there are some people that Jesus just flat out ignored. Why? Because he knew that not everybody is ready to change and grow. And so in this series, we're going to talk about how to have hats. Okay, 
This is where it gets fun. You're looking for people who have hats. And everybody's hat looks different. So don't, don't expect that everybody will fit into your box. The people that you're looking for to really pour into and invest in uh, may not always fit a given mold. Uh, some people's hats might look like this. Bob the Builder. Can we build it? Yes, we can. Now, by the way, if you've ever been around me and home repair, I am not Bob the Builder. I'm Bob the Breaker. Uh, I am the anti-Bob Vila. If you can fix it, I can break it. And, uh, but some people are really good at that. Uh, other people are good at going out and getting food. And, you know, that's, they're hunter-gatherers. And others really know how to do it well. <laughs> Not everybody's hat is going to look the same. I really like this one. I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. Now, some of you didn't know when it comes to this cowboy theme from the series that I actually used to keep horses. Uh, I used to keep stables when I was young. And I don't have a cowboy hat anymore. I do have snakeskin cowboy boots, but Tracy is embarrassed to be seen with me when I wear them. <laughs> and so uh, I'm just going to wear my golf hat instead. Uh, if you don't mind, but let, you, you say, what are these hats that will be reflected differently in different people's talents, personalities, and abilities? Because not everybody is going to look the same. But here's what H-A-T-S stands for, that the people who are really ready to grow when you invest in, in them are, first of all, people who are hopeful. If you do not have your hope in Christ, it is very unlikely that you will experience the power of Christ for transformation. If people don't believe that change is possible, then it probably won't happen. So when I'm looking for someone to really invest in, in their leadership, I'm looking for someone who has great hope in Christ. Secondly, available. Some people are overcommitted to too many things. They're busy, busy, busy in a lot of stuff and never really necessary, uh, ready to do what's necessary in order to grow spiritually. And so you need people who are not too busy for God and not too busy for your investment. I'm looking for people who are available. It has to be people who are teachable. That part of their hat's equation is, I have to ask, how does this person accept correction? How do they take advice? And then finally, uh, finally servant-hearted. Do they care about other people? Or do they only care about themselves? And when you find someone who has hats, <laughs> they're hopeful. Their hope is in Christ. They're willing to make themselves available and do what is necessary to grow, to be invested in. They're, they're teachable. They accept advice and correction. And they're servant-hearted. They actually care about the mission of Christ and care about the needs of others. Listen, that is a person that I will crawl over hot coals for climb the highest mountains, swim the widest ocean to see them develop their potential in Christ. 
That's the kind of stuff we're looking for in developing the potential of those around us. Now you say, what about somebody who doesn't have hats? What if they're not like that? Uh, Some people are in a needy stage in their life and, and they're not yet ready to grow. That doesn't mean you don't care about them, right? And next week, we're going to talk about how to invest in people who are going through a more fragile season in their life. Uh, but in this, in this series, today and then in a few weeks on Canada Day weekend, we're going to get more into this idea of hats and people who are ready to be invested in, ready to grow. And, uh, but today, we're going to talk about specifically how we can do that. And so I want to take you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, where Paul gives some strategic action to take to help other people grow. And he says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive to encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. And so the strategic action, he says, to take with someone who is lazy and disruptive causing problems, issue a warning to them that maybe it's time for some strong words. Someone who is disheartened and discouraged that they need some encouragement, some some love, help the weak to give some tender care to those who are weak. And then be patient with who? Everyone. (laughs) Because growth and transformation doesn't always happen overnight, sometimes it takes time. And so just as 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 gives some specific strategic action to take to help others grow, today I want to give you five ideas, five suggestions, strategic actions that you can take to raise up the potential of those around you. First of all, number one, when they express doubt, you express confidence. Uh, Joshua was one of the greatest razor-uppers in the Bible, one of the most inspirational leaders in the New Testament, uh, or in the Old Testament. And, And Joshua had this key phrase. It was kind of his catchphrase that he would use all the time to encourage people, to build them up. And he, he would say this to people all the time. And what he would say is this, because love changes everything. Oh, wait, no, no, no. That's our catchphrase. That's not his. What did, what did Joshua say to people all the time? Do you know? He said, be strong and courageous. Look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Joshua asks, have I not commanded you? In other words, he says, did, have I not told you this all the time? He said, I, I'm telling you this all the time to be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Everybody gets discouraged from time to time. And everybody needs an infusion of courage. That's what encouragement means, to infuse someone with courage. Now, this is different than, again, in contrast to how the world often talks about doing this. Our world likes to operate in fantasy sometimes and say things like this. If you believe it, you can achieve it. If you can dream it, you can do it, right? We hear that all the time. But is that true? No, it's not true. Like, Joel, what? We say that to people all the time. How could it not be true? Because look at me. If I dream that I'm gonna play for the Toronto Raptors next year (laughs) to win another NBA championship, 
Would it be kind and loving of you to say, Joel, if you dream it, you can achieve it? I believe as a 46-year-old white boy who can't jump, <laughs> that if you dream it, you can do it. No, I cannot. What we're talking about are God-directed goals. And God-directed goals are the promises that are found in Scripture. So the difference is God-directed goals may seem impossible, but God is the one who makes them possible. And so it's not self-gratifying goals. It's God-glorifying goals. And we need to at times go to people who are discouraged and say, you know what, you can't do it. You cannot do it on your own, but God can. God can. Strategic action number two, when they succeed, when they actually do move forward, you celebrate the progress. One day, Jesus asked the disciples, who do the people out there say that I am? And they started to give a few answers. And then he said, but what about you guys? He, he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16 through 18, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, which means the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah of the Jews, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And I want you to imagine how that made Peter feel, where right there in public, Jesus says, good job, buddy. You did a good job. God has revealed this to you. Way to go. Keep it up. See, everybody sometimes needs a kick in the pants. But more often than not, we need a pat on the back. And so strategic action number three is when they risk for Jesus, you encourage them. Uh, one evening, Jesus uh, was back on land and the disciples were going across the Sea of Galilee, this big lake, huge lake where storms would flare up as the, uh, the, the winds would come down from the hill country. And, and uh, all of a sudden this huge storm comes and the wind and the waves and everything's roaring and they're afraid. And then right in the midst of the storm, Jesus comes to them walking on the water. And they see Jesus walking on the water in the midst of the storm, and they're not sure, like, is this a ghost? What is going on? They are absolutely terrified. They are freaking out, everybody except for Peter. And Peter is like, dude, that is awesome. <laughs> like, I wonder if I can foot surf with Jesus. And he says, Jesus, tell me to come out to you on the water. And here's Here's what happens in Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. 
And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And sometimes we criticize uh, Peter for having a lack of faith. But I want you to think about it for a minute. Peter had the most faith of any of them. He was a lot more faith-filled than the disciples who were still sitting in the boat. And so when Jesus said those words to him, I don't think it was harsh criticism. I think it was encouragement. I think he was saying, oh, Peter, you were so close, man. You almost had it. Why did you doubt? And so I think the beauty of this story is not just Peter's faith in Jesus, it is also Jesus' faith in Peter. Because Jesus encourages him to step out of the boat and take a risk for God. And so strategic action number four. When they are tested, you pray for them. On the night before Jesus died, in Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that you may not fail. Everybody needs somebody to pray for them. Yes? How many of you are encouraged when you find out somebody's been praying for you? Go ahead. Everybody needs that. And here's the beauty That when you begin to pray for someone, God begins to give you insight and wisdom into how you can help raise them up. Strategic action number five. When they fail, and they will, go back to the basics with them. Uh, Peter had a huge failure on the night before Jesus was crucified. Peter had declared to Jesus, I will never fail you. And then, right away, sure enough, he's challenged on the night that Jesus is on trial. And on that evening, three times he says, I don't even know who Jesus is. Denies Jesus three times. And afterwards, he is embarrassed. He feels defeated like a failure. In fact, he decided to give up on this great calling that God had placed on his life. And instead of moving forward in ministry, instead, Peter goes back to his old job. He went back to fishing. He was done. He was a failure. He thought, God can no longer use me in ministry. But soon thereafter, Jesus invited Peter and the rest of his disciples to have breakfast together. And on John 21, verse 15, it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, I want to show you something in this verse of Scripture. Listen, listen, listen. If you have been a Christian for a long time, if you're a new believer, this is great formational, foundational stuff that I'm I'm about to say. But if you've been a Christian for many, many years, you know the purpose of life, our calling as Christians. But I wonder if maybe we didn't notice that it's also found right here in this beautiful teaching between Jesus and Peter. 
Jesus was asked, what is the meaning of life earlier on? And he said, the purpose of life, the greatest commandment in Scripture is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and to love what? Your neighbor as yourself. Love God is the first point. And so after Peter fails, what does Jesus say? We need to get back to the basics, Peter. Let me take you right back to the very beginning and ask, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. That's the great commandment. That's the foundational issue. Once you determine your love for Jesus, everything else starts to come into focus. But then the second question, if you love me, Peter, then here is the great commission. The great commission, Jesus says, is to go into all the world, share the good news, making disciples, baptizing people in, in my name. It's multiplication, to go out and invest in others, to raise others up in his kingdom. It's called the great commission. And so Jesus reviews with Peter after his failure, what's the purpose of life, Peter? Love God. And what's your mission, Peter? To go out and feed others the good news of Jesus. Around here, we say it like this, that us, this ought to be fairly familiar to you, yes? God's love in us to the world. Love God and love others. See, it's really, really quite simple. Now the way that we live it out is not always so simple. But this foundational truth, the purpose of life, is the great commandment and the great commission. God's love in us to the world. And we truly believe that his love changes everything. See, here's the key. The key to being a razor upper is this. When you realize because God believes in you, you also have the power to believe in someone else. You see, the reason I, I, I feel this way is because I know the selfish, foolish, arrogant man I used to be. And I'm far from perfect, I am still in progress. But by God's grace, I am not who I used to be. And because I have seen God do that in me, and I've seen God do that in others, I know he can do it in you too. And I know he can use you just as you are transformed to go out and invest in and raise others up. Because God believes in you, you also can believe in others. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the Lord of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that. Everybody say, so that. So say it again. So Shout it out. So that. so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. God blesses you, why? So that you can bless others. God encourages you so that you can encourage others. God raises you up for his mission so that you can go out and raise others up. 
And so we have a question for you today. And the question is this, who is one person God might want for you to raise up? And you say, but Joel, I don't have anything to give. I'm a mess myself. How can I help anybody else? Listen, if you don't believe that God can use you to help someone else, let me say it again, then you don't believe in Jesus. Because the calling of Jesus on all of our lives is not just that we would do it in our own strength, but that when we live like this, when we become more than just takers, when we become givers, when we come, become more than just consumers, when we become contributors, when we do more than take from other people, but we get, begin to invest in and raise other people up, that's when God begins to transform and empower us in ways that we never thought possible. And so I want to give you just a moment quietly to pray and meditate upon this question. Literally, I'm just going to stand here quietly and allow you to spend some time with God and ask for him to reveal to you the name or face of one person that he wants for you to invest in to help raise them up. Go ahead and ask him now. And if God did not bring someone to your mind, which I'm guessing for most people he did, if God did not bring someone to your mind, will you commit to keep praying and asking that question? Because all of us were called to pour into the lives of others. All of us. And so here's the second question. Who invested in me and how can I thank them? This is about gratitude. And I'm going to give you another quiet moment to think about someone who did this for you. And Lord, how can I thank them this week? Go ahead and ask that question to the Lord.
Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the model that was set by Jesus. The way that he carried out these strategic actions to correct people when they fail, to speak hope and encouragement to those who were discouraged, to encourage bold faith, to take risks for your kingdom. There's so many examples that we see in how Jesus raised up leaders who started this movement of your spirit that spread around the world and led to millions and billions of people finding life transformation in Jesus. And so Lord, I pray that the names that you brought to mind today, someone that you want us to invest in, someone who you want us to take under our wing, to encourage them, to pray for them, to bless them. And maybe we don't even tell them. Maybe, maybe we're not even going to go to them and say, Jesus told me to mentor you. Maybe it will be even more subtle than that. But Lord, that we would not forsake this calling that you have placed on our lives to invest in others. That it's not just about our success in life, but it's our successors. It's not just about what we do in living a successful life, but that it's in raising up successors who will come behind us to impact the future generations. Lord, we thank you so much for the countless people here in this church who do that on a weekly basis. This morning, we celebrated small group leaders and those who have invested in others through small groups this year. Lord, we think of people who serve in children's ministry each and every week, pouring the love of Christ into the rising generations. We think of those who serve in youth ministry and pour out their hearts into teenagers. Lord, we think of greeters and and people who, who serve in the cafe and in the, in the parking lot and people who serve behind the scenes in so many ways that people might not even notice. And yet they are doing their part to raise others up for your glory. And so I pray a blessing of empowerment upon razor uppers. <laughs> in this room for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name.